0: Well, good morning, and um, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. Um, I think the world of Blake West, your pastor, and like you said, I've gotten to know him over the years. Um, he has helped me do some really cool things. Um, he mentioned Passion. My wife and I uh, helped start Passion City Church. I'm on the board of Passion, and it's been a really, really amazing ride over the years to be a part of what God's doing through Passion but I'm gonna also talk a little bit about Bible translation this morning, uh, touch on some different things that we have been a part of, um, and Blake has facilitated a lot of that. He's enabled us to um, go and be a part of a lot of different things and to see a lot of cool kingdom impact here in our city and, and really candidly all over the world. Another thing launched out of passion we've gotten to be a part of that some of you may know about is the End it Movement, uh, which has been all about fighting global slavery. And so I just really, really, really wanna honor Blake and Julie, I don't know Julie as well as I know Blake, but they are amazing people. Um, I know there's nobody who cares more about the gospel. I ask him all the time, Blake, what are you teaching? And we talk about the word. I know how he cares about you guys. I know how he cares about this church um, in this community. He wants you guys to be salt and light in this community. And so I just wanna say I'm thankful for him Um, It's a privilege to call him a friend, so it's an honor to be here. Um, I'm really, really excited about this morning because I really believe that um, God has done something in our lives that we can't help but tell more and more and more people about that, and I think it's a life-changing thought. Um, I'm going to, uh, I think, challenge you to consider something that maybe feels a little bit counterintuitive, and candidly, I think a lot of the times walking with God feels a little bit counterintuitive, um, there's the saying that most of you, I'm sure, have heard, uh, God's economy is upside down. It's kind of counterintuitive, right? Uh, we read in Isaiah 55 that his ways are not our ways, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. A little bit counterintuitive. So. I'd ask you to kind of open your mind up and consider potentially maybe there are some things the Lord wants us to consider that that don't make human sense to us necessarily, but I think they're really, really important things for us to consider and apply to our lives. And before I get too much further, I would just love to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help us do that. The Scripture says that we're transformed by the renewing of our minds, that the Holy Spirit actually can change the way we think. And so I just ask um, that all of you would pray with me that he would would do that here today. So please pray. Father, thanks for today. Thank you for the privilege it is to be here. Thank you, Lord, for the Word, the power of the Word. Thank you that when we look into it intently, it actually does change us. And I would ask you, Holy Spirit, today, use me to encourage these people, to inspire them, to challenge them where conviction is needed. I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd convict people I pray you'd comfort people. I pray, Lord, you'd give people vision for their lives. Um, I even ask God that salvation would come to this place. Um, And, Lord, I pray that you'd be honored by our time. Thank you, Lord, that your mercy is new to us today. We're grateful people, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, Well, I'm excited to share with you for a few minutes, and I'm excited to share with you something out of Scripture that's absolutely changed my life, and it's really shaped my family's lives, and it's from the book of Proverbs. And if there was a title to this message, the title would be, God wants to save us from a small life. God wants to save us from a small life. Uh, When I think of the book of Proverbs, I think that the overall wisdom of the book, the foundation of the book, can kind of be boiled down to one idea, and that is that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The submission to, the surrender to the will of God, our being in rightful awe of God is the beginning of wisdom. I think it's that simple. Uh, I think there's something in us as human beings that desires to kind of hem in our own little world to be in control of our own little world. And the reality is that God wants us to trust Him with all of our life, everything we have and are. And He wants us to walk by faith. That's what Scripture says. And so as we look at the Scripture this morning, I think what's going to happen, and it's why I talked about being a little bit counterintuitive, is that we're going to be challenged to think different than our human tendency. We're going to be challenged to think different than the world. We have a tendency to want to gratify the desire of our flesh, but the reality is that because of Christ in us and the Spirit empowering us, we can actually walk controlled by the Spirit and live lives that look very different than the desire to be gratified in the flesh. Uh, The Scripture says, believe it or not, and I'll touch on this a couple other times, that by the Spirit living inside of us, we have the mind of Christ. That's a crazy thing to consider. I know my mind in the flesh. It's not the same as the mind of Christ. But because of the Holy Spirit working in and through us, we actually can think like Jesus thinks. And that's a different way to live, isn't it? Here's the deal that I am so excited about. I'm excited to read a verse out of Proverbs 11, and it's verse 24. And here's what the scripture says. It says, one person gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. I want to read the two verses right after that, verses 25 and 26, but we're really going to focus on verse 24. But I think they just are helpful to us as we start to wrestle with what does 24 mean. Verses 25 and 26 say, A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. People curse the one who hoards grain, but they pray God's blessing on the one who is willing to sell. You know, as you read and listen to that, it's amazing to me to consider those other two verses. Here's what they say to us, that we'll be refreshed as we help others, and that people, people will actually pray for us to be blessed as we do that. Those two things in and of themselves would cause me to be generous, because I want to be refreshed, and I want people praying for me. But let's consider what verse 24 says. I think it's simple, the notion that as we give, God enlarges our world. Here's what the Scripture says, and I'm going to read a few different translations. It says, there is the one who generously scatters abroad, and yet increases all the more. And there's the one who withholds what is justly due, but it results only in want and poverty. Another translation says this, one shares liberally and yet gains even more, while another hoards more than is right and still has need. Now, as we focus on this verse, I've studied it a lot, and I've looked at the original language of the verse, and what I believe we see over and over and over again, regardless of translation, is this idea of one who scatters and yet increases more, and then one who withholds, stark contrast, one who withholds, restrains, isn't willing to give, and it leads to need and poverty. Along that line, I want to read a translation, which will be the translation I reference over and over again. And here's what that scripture translation says. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy, smaller and smaller. And what Susan, my wife, and I have learned is nothing could be any more true. Nothing could be any more true. Our understanding of this goes back almost 30 years. We're creeping up on being married 30 years, and if you know my wife, she's one long-suffering woman. The scripture talks about the character and the nature of God, and God is a patient God, and He's a long-suffering God. Because of the Spirit working in us, we then reflect God's character. My wife is really patient and long-suffering. She's put up with me for 30 years. The Scripture also tells us a woman of grace is rightly honored. She's really gracious, and she deserves a lot of honor. And if she was here right now, she'd be furious with me, because I'm embarrassing her. She couldn't be here. She really wanted to be here. She and her mother and another one of her sisters are uh, ministering to her other sister, uh, who's gone through a really tough time recently, but God is doing something really beautiful in her life. Three decades of her being long-suffering, patient, gracious toward me. She's an amazing woman, and I would hope you get to meet her sometime. Everything that I have gotten to do that Blake has helped me do and other people have helped me do over the years, she's been my partner in that, and an amazing, amazing woman. But if I get back on topic, we really started wrestling with this and have wrestled with it through the years, primarily because of me enjoying a long NFL career. When Blake and I were talking about how you would introduce me, I said, Blake, don't do all that stuff, and I really don't want to talk a lot about the NFL, but God blessed me with a 13-year NFL career, five teams, lots of hard work, some of the hardest work I've ever done, lots of fun, lots of adventure, lots of privilege, but God taught us so much over that 13 years, About halfway through my career, we had a very defining moment. You ever hear that phrase, that term defining moment in our faith as a couple? We'd both been walking with God for a while. Uh, As individuals, we had had defining moments in our faith. We'd had a couple of things occur in our lives as a married couple that were significant. But this by far was the most defining and most shaping experience. Conviction, really, that we had undergone as a couple. We became convinced that we were not giving. We were what I would call now today just tipping God. We were convinced and convicted that we'd not been giving. You say, what do you mean you were not giving? You were just tipping God. We were contributing a lot of money to a lot of different ministries. But because I was making a lot of money, it wasn't that hard to write big checks. And we would write these checks and ministries would get the gift and they would come back to us and say, thank you so much for your generosity. Why do I say this? Well, I say it because I think there are probably some of you in here that can relate to this. And I don't think it's unique to an athlete. It might happen a little earlier in an athlete's career, but I don't think it's unique to that vocation. I think other people experience this. And here's really why I wanna make this point. I want to be sure we understand that because just because we write a big check, it doesn't mean we're generous. And just because we write a small check, it doesn't mean we're not generous. Candidly, some of the most generous people I know are not wealthy people. And some of the stingiest people I know have tremendous amounts of money, and it's very easy for them to write a big check. I also want to be sure we understand this that just because we're generous doesn't mean life is easy. The picture in the Scripture where we see generosity commended better and more clearly than any other is a widow who gave what Scripture says is out of what she didn't have. She gave two mites and was commended for her generosity, and clearly her life had plenty of challenge, didn't it? So as we wrestled with this, as Susan and I wrestled with this and were under this conviction, we really began to realize that generosity in God's eyes looks very different than in the world's eyes. And we began to understand something that I believe is fundamental to our faith and fundamental to today, that the gospel is generosity. The cross is the best picture of generosity we will ever see. God gave everything. Have you? Have I? He gave everything. He gave his only son. Speaking of that, consider this. How glad are we that Jesus didn't only give 10% of his blood? The gospel is generosity. And we had become convicted that we were not giving because in order to be generous, we need to give in such a way that our giving reflects our understanding of the gospel. And that wasn't the case for us. With that standard in mind, we came to realize we'd just been tipping God. But God is gracious, isn't he? He's good, he's gentle, he's kind, and he started to work in our lives, and the Holy Spirit started to work in our lives. And we began to become more and more intentional about wanting to be a generous couple, a generous family, have our children grow up in a family where generosity was normal. It was just who we are. So how does this relate to all of us today? Well, I think as you see, some dots will get connected as I share for a few more minutes. I played a few more years, and we began to be very focused on our giving. And as, as a result of my career, for us, what that meant was giving well above a tithe. But something started to happen as I was finishing playing, and the world, people, would come up to us and say, well, there's nowhere to go but down. I mean, what are you going to do next? You've reached the pinnacle. You're on the mountaintop. Nothing could be as fun as playing in the NFL for 13 years. And that really flew in the face of what we felt like God was teaching us. This journey we were on was helping us understand things that were very, very, very different than what the world was saying to us we felt like what God was helping us understand better was who he is, who we are, and that he's got a plan for all of our lives. And it's not this hunker-down mentality. It's not this safe, small, little world where we retrench and we hold back to take care of ourselves. I love how your worship leader talked about God being our rock and our fortress. I'm going to touch on that. What we were realizing was God was inviting us into a great adventure— Remember the scripture, it says the world of the generous gets larger and larger. What the world was telling us was that our world was going to just stay the way it is or maybe even shrink back to, to kind of secure ourselves. What we were convinced of more than anything was that with God, life is a lot more about taking ground than hunkering down. Life is a lot more about taking ground than hunkering down. And so as we gave more, our world started to get larger. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. You know, both Susan and I had been following God for quite a while by this point in time. And we knew a lot from the Scripture, really primarily, about how God had chosen to walk on this earth, about how Jesus chose to live on this earth and how for those of us who choose to follow and love him, we're to walk in his ways, right? We knew things like this because of the scripture, that Jesus didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. We see that in Matthew 20 and other places in scripture. We knew that from Isaiah 61, he came to heal the lame. He came to give sight to the blind. He came to give release to the prisoner and freedom to the captive. Here's what we knew because of Ephesians 5, that we're to imitate God in Christ. And what we knew, as a couple, is that as we were trying to figure out and work out what it would look like for us to be imitators of God, we weren't gonna be healing anybody because we don't have that spiritual gift. But we also knew this, that God had called us to care deeply for the poor, to care for the marginalized and the oppressed, and to be willing to lay our lives down to see other people lifted up. We'd seen in Scripture, like Luke 17, where it says, he who seeks to save his life will lose it, but the one who's willing to give or spend his life finds life. We'd seen in Scripture, like Acts 20, again, counterintuitive. It's more blessed to give than receive. And how about the idea that there's no greater privilege or blessing for a man or a woman than that we would be willing to lay down our life for our brother? These are counterintuitive thoughts, aren't they? And this was where we were. This was what we were wrestling with. And and it was all so starkly contrasting the ways of the world. Fortunately for us, we were getting to witness what was going on in an NFL locker room. And we were getting to see the way the world does life compared to the way God's Word says to do life. And sadly, most of my teammates and their families, their advisors, all were really focused on trying to secure comfort, secure personal comfort. They were all about building, like your worship leader alluded to, this idea of a fortress that would keep life's hardships out of their lives. But what we were realizing is we didn't want to be about this constant effort to hunker down, this constant effort to retrench, this constant effort to make our lives safe. We wanted to go on this great adventure with God. Here's what we realized, again, because of what we were witnessing in an NFL context, that people are absolutely consumed with themselves. We live in a lookout for number one world, a self-absorbed, self-consumed world that's really all about trying to secure personal comfort. Our friend Tim Keller says this, money flows effortlessly to that which is its God. If your God is personal comfort, then your money is going to go to achieving that. What we were realizing is a life of self, a life focused on self, equals a small world and a small life. It's a joyless, peaceless, all-consuming, worrisome way of living. I'm watching some of you nod because you know it's true. Now, in all transparency and full disclosure, a little bit of comedy, before we were convicted, we were pretty dead set on fulfilling the American dream. Even before I got drafted in the NFL and my NFL career started, we'd both been accepted to law school. And we were going to go to law school. That's what we thought was going to happen. We didn't know I was going to play in the NFL. We were going to go to law school. We were going to eat beanie weenies, as we would like to say, grind it out for three years, hope that we got out and did well, got jobs with prestigious law firms, ended up working 100-hour weeks, charging all kinds of billable hours, with one goal in mind, that we would have a nice house with a white picket fence with 2.3 kids and two nice cars and take nice vacations and have a pile of money, all so that we could do what we want when we want and retire. That's the American dream, isn't it? And that's where we were headed. By the way, are there any recovering attorneys here? Okay, somebody's tracking with me. But what God was teaching us that was being amplified in this NFL experience was that, like I said, making life all about us equals a really small life. What we were realizing is when you live for God's glory, building his kingdom in Christian community and giving your life away in that context, you experience a peace and a joy that are undeniable. Peace that surpasses understanding is what the scripture says. You realize God is bigger than your circumstances. He's actually sovereign over them. Nothing comes into our lives that doesn't sift through His hands first. You realize that He's a God of abundance. You put your confidence in Him, not in trying to accumulate the means to build that impenetrable fortress to keep out life's hardships. I've thought a lot about this idea of the fortress, and I don't consider it coincidence that the worship leader used that word. I believe that in God's sovereignty, God chose for him to say that word knowing what he'd given me to say. We spend a lot of time trying to build an impenetrable fortress that keeps out life's hardships. If you're honest with yourself, you know it's true, and it's absolutely mystifying to me that we spend that amount of time and and accumulation of resources trying to build this fortress when the Scripture explicitly states numerous times, but just for one example, Psalm 18, it explicitly states that God, as your worship leader said, is our rock and our fortress and our Savior. Friends, God wants to be our fortress. He wants us to trust Him, not our stuff. We were learning as you give your life away, God meets your needs. I'm going to offer you a little nugget for free. Here's the deal. There's no impenetrable fortress you can build. Like one of my team chaplains used to say, if you think money will solve all your problems, God will let you have a problem money won't solve. There is no impenetrable fortress you can build. As we were committed to giving our lives away, thankfully God gave us friends who would walk this journey with us. And there were a few guys on my team and a few guys around the NFL, their wives, families, and we were all tracking along doing this together. What we realized pretty early is this, it's impossible to do it alone the world's way too tempting and alluring. And it's also impossible to do it without being surrendered to and controlled by the Holy Spirit, because we revert back to what I was talking about, that gratifying the desire of the flesh. But the really beautiful and amazing thing is what I said, that because of the Spirit inside us, he who has Christ has the Spirit, because of the Spirit's work inside us, we actually can do it. We actually can think like Jesus. We can act like Jesus. We can live like Jesus. We can walk like Jesus and talk like Jesus. We don't have to look like the world. And that's what we were realizing because of all this. Here's the deal. It's real simple. A mindset on the things of the spirit equals life. A mindset on the things of the flesh leads to death, to want, to emptiness. What we were learning is that God's plan for our lives is way better than our plan for our lives, and that as you give your life away, God makes your world get bigger and more exciting. He's inviting us into, like our friend Stephen Curtis Chapman's song title says, a great adventure. As I retired, this verse, Proverbs 11:24, 24, took on greater significance in our lives, and it really provided context for so much of what we were going through, and, and all of it seemed so counterintuitive. Um, as I unpack this verse for a minute, the metaphor for this verse is agrarian, it's the agricultural metaphor, it's the idea with the farmer and the seed, right? And as we unpack this verse, the the idea that we need to consider is that as the farmer throws out the seed, as he gives it away, right, as he throws it out, it's not wasteful, it's not purposeless. He throws it out very purposefully, doesn't it? The seed is sown purposefully with the hope, confident hope, that that seed's going to fall in fertile soil and produce a crop, right? Well, think again counterintuitive with me. It goes out... And it ultimately doesn't end in decrease, leaving him, but rather in every sense, increasing and returning to him, what? Food to eat, more seed to sow, and even crop to sell. That's counterintuitive, isn't it? You give it away and you get more back. How contrasted, how starkly contrasted is that with the idea of being stingy? that you hold something, you have something, it's yours, it's in your possession, and you hold it, and you think it's all yours. You restrain from giving it. You withhold it, right? And even as you hold it back for you, you end up with need, not having your needs met. The Scripture says poverty. The world of the stingy shrinks. The world of the one who withholds, shrinks. I know Proverbs 11 has proven true for us over and over again. And I have seen numbers of you nodding and smiling because you're tracking with this, you've lived this out, you know it's true. What we've learned is as we give our lives away, God makes our world expand, get bigger, get larger. He adds relationships to it. He takes us places we never considered we'd go. Life with God is a great adventure. So much joy, so much purpose, so much peace. As you give your life away, you experience that joy undeniable, that peace that surpasses understanding. God aligns you with His heart and purposes, and He changes the way you look at the world. You begin to flow with the current of the Holy Spirit. My wife and one of her best friends had T-shirts that showed salmon swimming upstream. Because they feel like in our culture, we're all kind of salmon swimming against the current. The the prevailing current is not toward this way of living. The prevailing current is toward take care of yourself. Look out for number one. When you give your life away and you experience life, remember the one who seeks to save his life loses his life. The one who is willing to give his life, spend his life, finds life. When you find life, abundant life, you experience love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit in our lives, right? So, you might be wondering, how was our world getting larger? Well, Blake has had the opportunity to help us live this out, And what we had happened to us as I was kind of midway through my career and all this was happening, and certainly on the back half of my career and ever since, so now more than 20 years, God had us on a collision course with the world of global missions. Specifically, we became very committed to, deeply invested in, and have fallen in love with the work of Bible translation. You say, how did that happen? I grew up in Valdosta. I barely can speak English but God intersected us with a massive work that he's doing to see the nations come to the light. It happened because I had a teammate at Georgia who got drafted into the NFL like me, had a cup of coffee, as the saying goes in the NFL, got hurt and felt called to seminary. He wanted to be a pastor like Blake. He went to seminary, he got out, he became a pastor very early on in his pastorate, working for a, a church up in Long Island, believe it, a Southern Baptist church in Long Island. How crazy is that? Counterintuitive, right? He fell in love with a girl from inner city Philadelphia. They had a heart for the poor. They felt called to the poor. They felt called to the mission field. And before you knew it, they felt called to the work of Bible translation. Crazy. And God sent him off to linguistics school. They asked us if we would support him. We said, of course. He was one of my best friends. We got our world rocked. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. Our world got turned upside down. We had no earthly idea of the plight of the bible people of the world. It was like God was opening our eyes to more, right? Ephesians 3, he's always doing more, immeasurably more than we could ever imagine exceeding abundantly more is one translation we knew the bible we knew the bible was his love letter to us we also knew it was his instructions to those of us who follow him and love him for how to get more and more and more and more and more people to understand it's his love letter to them too so that they can know his love and experience what we experience But there's a lot more in the Bible than just that, right? And our eyes were being opened to this idea that there's a thread through Scripture that clearly shows God's heart for the nations, for every tribe, every nation, every people, every language. There's a couple hundred countries on earth. God doesn't look at the world the way we look at the world. What we were learning through our friends is there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people groups. And when you read in Revelation 5 and Revelation 7, every tribe, every nation, every people in every language will find their way before the throne and the Lamb, and they will worship forever with us. And most don't look like me or many of you. God means every. The ethnos is the word. Every tribe, every nation what we were seeing through our friends and what they were learning is verses like psalm 111 6 isaiah 60 verse 3 matthew 24 14 matthew 28 18 to 20 romans 10 14 all these verses showing us god is going to make himself known among the peoples of the earth but then also Acts 17 26, and it's a life verse for me And it says that God chose us for here and now. God determines the time and place a man will live. Why? It goes on to say so that he will seek and find God. Implicitly, I believe, once we've found him, he invites us to be used by him to help more people seek him and find him. We were learning that God had a plan for our lives and it was way bigger than we could have ever imagined. Our friends were opening our eyes to the idea that there are 7,300 plus languages on earth. Think of that every tribe, every nation, every people, worshiping with us forever. At that point in time, 20 years ago, almost 5,000 of them with little or no access at all to scripture. Think about that. Wow, that's right, wow. Today, that's about 3,600. But how unacceptable. 2022? Are you kidding me? There are people on earth who don't have access to the gospel in their language? That's an injustice of injustices. They explain to us that in English, we have thousands upon thousands upon thousands of variations of the scripture, 100 plus translations of the Bible in English. You can get a Bible in English any way you want. You can get a red one, a blue one, a black one, a green one. You can get a mom's one, a dad's one. You can get an athlete's one. You can get a Boy Scouts one. You can get all kinds of Bibles. Think about this. Only 700 languages on earth, 10%, have a Bible. Only 1,500 a New Testament, 20%. Now consider this. We, the U.S., make up less than 5% of the world population. And yet we have thousands of variations of the English Bible. They were helping us understand there are hundreds of millions of people on earth who speak thousands of languages, like I've referred to, who think God is a stranger to them. It's almost impossible for them to conceive of a loving God because they don't think He speaks their language. More than one billion people today on earth trapped in what is known as the darkness of Bible poverty, with little or no access at all to Scripture. 1,600 of those 3,600 languages without a single verse of Scripture. You know what people groups say when they get Scripture for the first time? I've witnessed it within my own eyes. I've been there and witnessed it and seen it they say this today god is one of us today god speaks our language today god is no longer a stranger we had no idea what it was like to go and witness this and so we went and we saw with our own eyes some of the hardest darkest places on earth we went to the horn of africa where we saw the digo people get their new testament First scripture, Horn of Africa, another major world religion, very militant in that part of the world. This is coastal Kenya. And when the Jesus film was shown in the Digo land, that other major world religion and its militants stoned the people watching the Jesus film. Or to Guatemala, you think of the Mayan culture and heritage and the way it's permeated that society. They used to sacrifice their children until the gospel light moved in and pushed out the darkness because of the power of the word of God. Or to Southeast Asia where the tsunami hit years ago and more than 200,000 people were killed. People don't have an answer for that. Why do bad things happen to good people? Giving our lives away has taken us all over the world. Remember the world of the generous gets larger and larger. We've met the most amazing leaders. It's just a glimpse of what God is doing to redeem the world, to bring the nations to the light. Why do I share this? Not to brag. I share it because it's evidence for me and Susan and our kids and our friends that scripture is true. When you give your life away, your world gets bigger and more exciting. In no way, shape, or form, has my world, since I left the NFL, gotten smaller? No way. I was hanging out with some Major League Baseball buddies the other day and they'd been down in Central America on a mission trip to an organization they support. And one of those guys validated this thinking as much as anything I've ever heard anyone say. You guys probably remember Jaime Garcia, the Braves pitcher. Jaime said this, I've won the World Series and this is way better than that. When you give your life away, when you link arms with God, and you become a part of what God's doing, God enlarges your world. Over the years, there have been a few things that God has called us to, clearly. Bible translation, our local church passion, sports ministry, clearly very important to me, it's why I'm largely who I am. Youth and stewardship ministry, these are things the Lord has called us to. But regardless of what he's called us to, I believe with all of my heart, there's something close to his heart that he has for you. We believe more than ever he's created all of us to serve. By the way, I would sometime encourage you to read 1 Samuel 16. I think Blake preached out of 1 Samuel recently, maybe even last week. And I would encourage you to consider how David was chosen as king. God has an assignment for you. Ephesians 2 says that we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do great work, which he's prepared in advance for us. God has an assignment for you. And the world oftentimes puts forward the person that is not the one God intends to do the work. When you read 1 Samuel 16, you see that Jesse has brought his sons before Samuel. And finally, Samuel says, is that all of them? And Jesse's like, yeah, I mean, it's all of them other than the one over there tending the sheep. And Samuel says, send for and get him. God will send for and get you. He has work for you to do if you're just willing to give your life. And I promise you, if you do, your world will blow up. I would encourage you to dive right here in at this church with Blake and Julie and the team here. Give your life here. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, it will be the greatest thing you ever do. Bottom line is when you give your life away, your life gets more exciting and your world gets bigger. When you're not focused on yourself, when you're not consumed with you, when you put others' interests before your own, like Philippians 2 says, something happens in your heart you really do experience joy and peace and purpose. You find life, is what Scripture says. Now, I'm going to take a chance here, and I'm going to say something that's probably going to be a little close to home. We live in a culture jam-packed with anxiety and depression, marriage issues all around us. One or both spouses consumed with what he or she wants their own happiness. I wonder what would happen in marriage if both spouses realized marriage isn't a 50-50 deal, but rather like someone told us very early in our marriage, it's a 100-100 proposition. A commitment to always serve the other, to lay your life down always for your spouse, each of you to be all in all the time, 100% of the time. When I consider this, I wonder if the antidote to some of these societal headwinds isn't the generous life, a life of service. I'm not discounting at all with regard to depression when someone needs medical help. My family has walked through that with the sudden tragic death of my sister last summer. If you need help, get help. If you know someone who needs help, encourage them to get help. But beyond all that, I think it's really important to say this. I don't know that I've met really any regretful givers, really any consistently sad givers. I don't really know givers who are anxious all the time. And with regard to marriage, I can't think of anyone I know who is generous, who has a spouse, who isn't willing to work on having a great marriage with them. I can tell you this, as Susan and I have given, given of our time, our talent, our treasure, the more we've served, the more we've given financially, the more fun we've had in our marriage, the better and more purposeful and more impactful and more adventurous our marriage has been. As I close, I wanna reiterate a couple things. God will save you from a small life if you ask him to. The generous life is not really all about money. It's about our hearts. God wants your heart. God wants you to trust him with everything. It's about relationships, it's about experiences, it's about that great adventure he has for us called life. What he's doing to redeem the world. He's inviting us to be a part of seeing the nations come to the light. The reality is He's doing this. He is doing this, and it's up to us whether or not we're going to be a part of it. There's day coming when the gospel will be preached everywhere, and then the end will come. Every tribe, every nation, every people, every language before the throne and the Lamb worshiping for eternity with those of us who've chosen to follow Him and love Him. God's inviting us to be a part of what he's doing to make his glory cover the earth the way the waters cover the seas. Right here, north of Atlanta, all the way to the ends of the earth. And he wants to save us from a very small life focused on ourselves, if we just ask him to. Regardless of how much we have, how big a check we can write, or how small a check, we write. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to have our faith stretched. He's got a plan for our lives, and it's with our best in mind all the time. Here's the deal. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller, but the world of the one who's willing to give their life, the generous one, their life gets larger and larger. It's really up to us which life we will live. I know for Susan and me, we're gonna keep giving because we cannot wait to see what's next in this great adventure called life. Now, I really think there are probably two responses to this kind of thinking. First of all, I think there are some of you in here who probably need to let go. You're holding back. You're restraining, you've got clenched fists and you just need to trust God. you, You know God. You've chosen to follow him. You're saved, but you're not free, and you just need to let go. Amazing thing about letting go is God can take out, but he can also put in. You need to trust God and let him do what he wants. And there might be someone here who actually needs to truly trust Jesus for salvation. They need to, they need to say, Lord, save me. I've tried it my own way. It doesn't work. Save me, God. I believe you are who you say you are. Thank you for your generosity toward me. Thank you for the cross. I believe today. I'd love to pray, and then I'm sure that if you're one of those people, Blake would love to talk to you, Julie would, someone else on staff. But I just thank you for the privilege of being here. Um, I will be praying for y'all and asking God to make you a light on a hill in this community. Father, thanks for today. Thank you for the privilege it is to worship. Thank you, God, for what you are doing here at CCA, God. Thank you for uh, the fact that you are the most generous one ever. Jesus, you are the most generous giver ever. We We have nothing to give to you. We only can give back what you've first given to us. And so we do offer back to you our lives, everything we have and are. I pray for people who need to let go, and I pray, Lord God, for the person maybe sitting here who needs to trust you really with their life. They need, they need their heart changed. They need to trust you and not themselves. I pray, God, that you would meet each of these people exactly where they are. I pray your blessing on this church. I pray you to expand its borders. I pray it would grow, not because we're into numbers, God, but because in the Christian life, growth is normal. I pray for people to be impacted by this church, Lord. We love you. Thank you for the word. Thank you for the power in it. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.